1: everyone and welcome. If you are a first
3: time listener, thank you for joining. If you are a regular listener, thank you for joining. So regardless, I'm giving you the same greeting. For those of you that have been listening for a long time, you can hopefully sense the tone of like, you know what, you're, you're kind of cooler than these people that just jumped on. <laughs> I kid. I am your host, Ray Harkins. This is a show called 100 Words or Less, the podcast in which I discuss and have a conversation with a person who I deem as valuable to this independent music community. And the guest this week is is a doozy. He's a huge one, and when I say huge, as far as the stature within the independent music community, it is Dallas Green from a band or project or whatever. I think I guess you'd call it a band now called City in Color. He also previously played in a band called Alexis on Fire. I've known Dallas for gosh, 15 years. I'll I'll explain more in a minute. I got to get into some business. I got to drill down on some things that I'm focusing on this month. And that particular thing is fundraising. So for those of you that regularly listen to the show, know that I have a very specific way in which I want you as a consumer of this product to potentially throw your vote of confidence in this thing. So I'm looking to raise money. Everybody's looking for money these days in regards to their own content production of whatever it is that they're doing, and I get it. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's trying to make these things into something bigger, and then hopefully it'll open up other opportunities. I just honestly, I do this for fun. Granted, would I love for this to be my job? Of course. I mean, that would be incredible. But I I mean, I love what I do, and I love the fact that I can bring these really cool conversations to you, the listener, on a weekly basis. But obviously, it takes time. It takes money. You got to pour all these things into it. The only reason that I'm really coming to you is because I see you out there. There's thousands of people that download this show on a weekly basis. That's amazing. I'm humbled by that and that's great. But only one way in which you can be really like, you know what, I pick you. I am putting you in my ear holes and that is a deliberate choice. And here, here is some money to showcase that fact. So there are two ways you could donate. One, visit patreon.com backslash X, or you can visit 100wordspodcast.com And on the right side of the page, there will be a bright yellow button that says Donate. The difference between those two, Patreon.com is basically a monthly subscription service that I use, where basically you give $2 a month, $24 a year, whatever increment you decide, and then that comes into my bank account each month. And I really, really appreciate that. There's a few of you that do that already, and I am so thankful that you do that, because straight up, I've developed friendships and relationships with people that have done that. And it's so great to have that sort of direct connection with people who find value in what this is. That is one way. And then the other way is just a straight up one-time donation. And I don't give a shit if you're donating a dollar, $10, $50, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's that validation, that validation that everybody is looking for where it's just like, hey, here's a dollar, man. I really enjoy what you're doing. Just letting this bubble to the top of all of the content that's out there. Because everybody is a podcast, that's not special. Everybody's a band, that's not special. But for those of you that hang out with this show on a weekly basis, I want to encourage you to reach into your pockets. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I've got an archive, a veritable treasure trove of previous conversations I've had with people. So after you've kind of poked around, if you feel like it's worth something, then go ahead and donate. And I really appreciate that. I just only come to you twice a year in April and November, hat in hand kind of being like, hey, could you, can you throw something my way? So thank you very much for listening to The Plea. Here's my background with Dallas. Like I said, I've known him for 15 years. I consider him a very close friend. Even though him and I speak maybe once or twice a year, he's one of those guys where we spent a ton of time on the road, and him and I have spent those, those supremely valuable times of us driving through the night. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat or vice versa, where we've just really bonded. You know, Him and I, uh, like I said... I would consider him a close friend and watching his kind of rise to prominence has been it brought me nothing but warm fuzzy feelings inside to just be like dude he's doing what he wants he's being creative he's being artistic and it's incredible that he is at the level that he's at he's basically gone from playing in a melodic ish hardcore band to being a singer-songwriter that's kind of traveled in the, you know, whatever, the warp Tour world early in his career and then completely blew open the doors. And now he can play with country artists and he can, basically he can play with anybody. And it's amazing to watch that. The moment, and I actually mentioned this in the interview, the moment that I mean, it, it almost brought me to tears. And I know it sounds melodramatic, but it, it, it did. Where I remember I think one holiday I was in uh, Las Vegas hanging out with my grandparents. And I I went out to pick up some Starbucks for the family. What do I see in the little free single slash card giveaway that you know, I know anybody that goes into a Starbucks knows what I'm talking about. And I see Dallas's face looking at me. And it was just one of those overwhelming moments where it's just like, so amazing. My friends are doing some amazing things and they're influencing culture in ways that I just never, ever anticipated happening. And it, it, like I said, it warms my heart. So I was very calculated about this. I didn't want to have Dallas kind of, too early in this show's career. I wanted it to basically not waste his time because frankly, even though he, he would talk to me three years ago when this show first started and like 40 people were downloading it versus now where you know tens of thousands of people are downloading it. So I kind of wanted to you know, make a trade off to where it's like, okay, I'll bring you on when it's, when it's reasonable and when you're gonna be impacting the most amount of people. And the conversation I had straight up was emotional. <laughs> there were certain moments where it was just like, I just, uh, I don't know, I feel very grateful to have been involved, what I've been involved in as far as independent music is concerned. And then to just hear Dallas's story, just kind of crystallize it for me even more, is very special. And I'm very glad that we were able to document that. And this is what I'm bring to you now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mr. Dallas Green of City and Color, and I will talk to you after the interview is over. I was recently cleaning out a lot of things in my house and, uh, was, you know, I, I am a absolute pack rat for all of my old band stuff. And so I tripped across a photo of you watching Taken play at the Lockport Skate Park in, uh, you know, upstate New York. Uh, not, I think that was outside of Buffalo, right?
2: Yeah. I believe it's in a place called Lackawanna. Yeah. That, which is like, there's all those sort of like, uh, yeah, just those little tiny kind of suburbs of Buffalo, Cheektowaga, and things yeah. like that. A lot of a lot of native names.
3: <laughs> right, right. And so I saw, I I looked at that picture, and of course, like uh, immediately memories came flooding back. And that was the first time we actually like met in person, right? Like when you you guys and us played together at that skate park on, in the middle of the skate ramp, right?
2: Right. Now, was that the tour? Were you guys on tour with This Day Forward, or was that you guys with Curl Up and Die?
3: Yeah, I think it was we were with Curl Up and Die because you guys just hopped on that show yeah. and like we were bl- like you guys were so nice and friendly, but we were just so blown away because you guys were like, "Hey, so like we're really influenced by you guys." And it was like huh, like cuz literally to up to that point no one ever said that. And then watching you guys play, it was like, "Oh yeah, I see the elements of the influence, but it was, you know, I was like, "Oh yeah, they're doing something that's like completely different but i see it at the same time like i don't know it was just such a still to this day i just reflect on that being like that's weird because that was the first time anybody said it to us
2: well it definitely i think it's probably i mean i can imagine how interesting that would be for you because i mean the first time somebody says that to you it's always strange because you think to yourself like well i'm just what like i'm just this guy in a band who's playing and you know i mean you want you hope that it's like it's coming across and you're affecting people but you, I mean like people like myself and you you never really assume that it's gonna work um <laughs> but then probably to be from where you're from and to have these like you know goofy kids from Canada being like hey we really like your band and I, I know that that just yeah it's but th- that's what I think what makes it even soup like even more special was that it really was just like you know like sometimes I like to get very romantic about what music can do but it really was like just the music that you were creating had some strange effect on five guys or kids from a small town in in right. canada and and you know it was you know I would say like you and and a band like Monique were very uh like just sort of came out right at the right time for where we were and what the five of us wanted to do or what we were looking to try to to try and create ourselves, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it, it was great. Yeah. It's great. It was a great moment.
3: Cause I mean, at, at that time too, you hadn't even released your first self-titled full length. And so I presume when you reflect on that sort of time, I'm sure it was just like, was it the, the idea of just like kind of one foot in front of the other? Like our, our goals are so modest to be able to be like, Oh yeah, let's just play a show in the States and like, let's do this next thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Wade was really the one who, he was really the one who kind of like took on the get a, like getting us on shows responsibilities. Like we would obviously like on the weekends and stuff because was the kids are still in high school, so we would try to play around small like the, the Canadian versions of those suburbs, you know like all the little towns around Toronto and things like that. Um, but then it just got to the point where we were like, well, you know like Wade started kind of meeting kids who were coming over to Canada for shows. I believe the guy. I forget the guy. Was it Lockport John? Was that with Lisa used to call him, The kid who promoted that skate park show? I think that was his name, but
3: I think so. yeah. It was
2: something like that. Well, he had come over to to St. Catharines, I think, for a show. I think like Wade had done a Hopes Fall show in St. Catharines. It was like Hopes Fall and Love Lost, okay. but not for not uh, Love Lost but not Forgotten. And I think he had come over, and we had we had played that show, and so you know, Lockport John was like, oh. Well, I do shows at the skate park in, in upstate New York. Would you guys ever want to come over? And we were, of course, we were like, sure, we're going to have to sneak over the border, but we will definitely come. And that's kind of, that's, that's sort of how we started playing in, in like Rochester and places like that, just because, you know, it was like, Oh, here's a show. Let's go play it. And like you said, that was definitely like the height of our goals were, were, were very, very, very tiny. You know, it was just, can we play another show on the weekend? And, right. <laughs> uh, really, you
3: know. it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's true, and it's funny because obviously, being so close to you guys throughout the duration of your career, it, it was one of those things where it was like, even when you guys were at the you know height of popularity, where it was like, you know, you were obviously thrust into a national spotlight in Canada and Australia and UK and stuff. It it seemed like it was still just coming from that place of just absolute cluelessness where you guys are yeah. like, I don't know what, what should, what should we do now? I guess we'll do this. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah, absolutely. It was like, Oh, people like you in Australia. Oh, okay. Well, should we go there and play maybe, you know? Right. <laughs> so we did that and it was good. And so we thought, well, maybe we'll go back next time. Right. You know? And I mean, that's kind of, yeah. that's pretty much still how I do everything, which is sometimes, you know, it can be frustrating to a lot of people, but it's still pretty fun, right? You know, it, it keeps everything kind of it just yeah it keeps everything sort of fun and and uh, exciting, I guess. Well, yeah,
3: and especially too, because like e- even though you obviously have to operate within the context of a music industry and the the livelihood that you have created via your music, but the approach in which you take it could be from that place of what you, not only what you were, but like you said, what you're currently doing, where it's like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess I can do that now. Yeah. Like, sure. I'll do that thing. Like,
2: <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, but, it's cool because, you know, I, I know like, because I've, I, I guess I've always wanted to be a, a musician or a, like a, a songwriter, or a, you know, I've always wanted to be in a band, but I never had goals of being like a popular guy in a band because i just never thought it was it was possible you know so when we approached starting a band just like i'm sure you guys did like we just wanted to be in a band and play and then when that happened it was like okay well let's keep doing that you know and like oh maybe we should make some shirts things yeah. like that and and that's that was always my my goal like i i always say this it's sort of become something i say a lot but i think it makes sense like for me success is the ability just to continue so that was totally that's sort of yeah. really, that, that, i guess that would be the main goal. If, if I if I were to like look at my whole career and, and that I that I focused on throughout the whole, from the day I met you at the skate park to now is is, it's just the ability to continue doing it on whatever scale that may be or whatever style of music that may be or whatever uh, direction it may take me. But that that that's sort of I guess the way I approach things.
3: Hitting on a point there where uh, you were you were born and raised in Southern Ontario, right?
2: mm Hmm. Yes,
3: and it, specifically in Saint Catharines.
2: yeah, Saint Catharines is where myself and Wade and Steele and Jesse are original drummer. That's where we were all, all born and raised. And Georgie was was born and raised in Grimsby, which is only about you know twenty minutes away. But that's that's why we kind of right. That's our home base, I guess.
3: And your your family structure growing up, it was uh, mom and dad, and uh, you know how what what were they doing for a living as you were uh, growing
2: up. Well, my dad started off as kind of like a... He was like a banker, you know, like a, sort of managed a credit union and my mother was an insurance salesperson. They sort of stayed that way for a while and then my dad left that and kind of... He sort of got into concert promoting and things like that. It was, it was sort of strange. It wasn't... I guess I had started playing music around that time when I was, you know, like 8, or eight through 10 and he got into, uh, yeah, like putting on shows and stuff. And so I grew up kind of around music a lot like going either working you know like helping park cars or taking tickets or things like that like running around backstage and, and things like that at, at, at shows and
3: what sort of concerts like was he was he promoting like was he was he doing he obviously was doing shows like you and i know but like he was doing larger level stuff or yeah was it smaller yeah scale he things? did
2: like he, there was this a couple of years in a row where he did this like really big like country music festival out at this park called Courtcliffe park and like you know, like it'd be like, it. Charlie Pride played one year, and like it was just like a bunch of like uh, wow. a bunch of sort of '80s country popular stuff at that time. And then he did him and his. This is just just as strange. I don't even know if I've ever told you this, but at one point, him and a partner okay. of his, they owned the largest circus tent in the world called the Moscow Circus Tent. Not even lying, and they would do <laughs> <laughs> and they would do shows in it, and like around around, like, the St. Catharines area, and, um, one time he did a Motorhead Black Sabbath show, but it was Black Sabbath with the third singer, who I can't remember his name, but not even Dio, the third guy, and, yeah, like, things like that, so I kind of, like, like, the first time I ever crowd surfed was at a show my dad did uh, in the tent, very weird.
3: Uh, Yeah, so, like, just, just so I'm understanding this appropriately, so he, he owned a giant tent, and he basically looked for places to set it up officially, and then be able to promote said show via his own networks and what have you. Correct. Holy shit!
2: I <laughs> it know. not It I
0: don't sounds
2: know.
3: kind of like it's like a life of a, a, a gypsy in a way. It's like, but you have the uh, you have the suburban backdrop of of Saint Catharines. And then you have this 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 guy who owns a huge tent that puts on shows. It's amazing. Yeah,
2: it was pretty. It was pretty strange. Like for a couple of years when he was doing that, because it was just like every summer, it'd be like make or break, kind of based on whether or not the show would go off well. You know what I mean? And, right. Um, it was right, always right. weird. Like you know, it always some it would always be like in a weird little at like some fair or something, and you know some bands would come and play, and I don't know. It was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty cool just to be like sort of. Uh, yeah around that as a kid and and see the inner workings and i i don't know if that had like an effect on me wanting to be in a band because i had already sort of been playing guitar and, and was really into music at the time but it definitely gave me a little sort of insight into that world of things
3: and so you're uh you're not an only child you have no a brother, I have a, correct I a or am, am i a sister that's right that's older right sister. and older or younger older sister okay was she helpful at all in regards to the exposure more or less of like independent sort of music or did you get ushered in via a different channel?
2: Well, yeah, I got, my sister was, was super cool when I was young. Like she, you know, she made me, I remember going to the first day of sixth grade and my sister had made me wear, like she bought me and made me wear a class t-shirt to, to, to school. Like no, she was already in high school, but she was like, go wear this to school. Like the kids in eighth grade are going to freak out kind of thing. Like, and right <laughs> So she was always kind of telling me, like, you know, she bought me my first pair of Doc Martens, got me going on stuff like that. And then, but she moved, when she went to high school, she moved really heavily into like sort of early 90s, uh, like R&B and stuff like that. So that's why I have an affinity for like Mary J. Blige and Sade and things like that, because my sister was into it and, and I was just like, I'd come home from school and my sister would be watching the video channels and be listening to stuff like that. And I would just sit and watch it with her, so... I think that's where I get yeah. my appreciation for, like, the female voice and singing, uh, especially the way I do. But so for me, the, the way I got into sort of independent music and, and things like that was when I started, obviously, like, listening to harder music. For me, I guess you could call it harder music was when gr- the grunge explosion happened. So 91, 90 through 92, I got into, so I'm 11, 12 years old, and I got into, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice Chains and bands like that then opened the door for me to sort of get into heavier music like when I found out mm-hmm. that you know the Melvins were Nirvana like Kurt Cobain's favorite band that got me into the Melvins and then I started learning about drop tunings and things like that and then kind of from there as like the early 90s went on I started just discovering you know you know I found Quicksand and then obviously Quicksand opened a wormhole for for everything I guess. Right.
3: I, I think that, that experience of the thirst of for more is so, um, is so indicative of obviously that time in most people's lives where they just like, once they, like you said, open a wormhole, once they kind of open one door and it's like, oh my gosh, there's like shelves upon shelves of these bands and like, yeah. where do I go? And then all of a sudden that door opens and you're just like, oh my God, there's like another sub-basement behind this.
2: Right, and the great thing for us, like, not necessarily for the bands in Canada at the time, but Canada had an, its own complete response to the grunge culture as well, right? Um, and, and a lot of bands that probably most American people, maybe even people in the rest of the world wouldn't know about because at that time, without the internet, it was very hard for bands to get noticed outside of their own country. There are the uh, there's all, all other cross-sections of all of these amazing Canadian bands that I grew up listening to that... I just love that, you know, those were the bands that were playing in St. Catharines because, you know, we were sort of a smaller town in between Toronto and Buffalo and it wasn't like a lot of national touring acts were, were coming through. So I got to see all these, like, I just, I just these amazing Canadian bands that meant so much to me that I think also helped me sort of find that, like you said, that thirst or the, the drive to want be in one of their bands or just to play you know
1: right right The show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different things that stress us out right like maybe it's something really really small like man that parking space it's always taken and i wish that i would be able to like get it instead of you know this person that maybe you know is the most courteous and considerate
3: Like you said, there was always kind of a desire inside of you once you picked up a guitar and been like, oh, yeah, I'd like to, you know, make music or be in a band or whatever. So, Helicon Blue, like, was that kind of your first sort of foray into playing like active shows and like playing shows outside of your your general area? Or was there something prior to that that was, you know, even more, uh, you know, whatever, rudimentary, awful, however you'd like to peg it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, we
2: had a band. Me and a couple other people had a band um, before that, which sort of like I was really into Mogwai and instrumental stuff at that time. So we had a band that mm-hmm. kind of like, and there was like a there was also like a sort of cool spacey bunch of Canadian bands um, on Sonic Onion Records that were that were that I really liked a lot too at that time. So I'm we we kind of made a band before that. That was really just instrumental, and we played a couple of shows, and it was a lot of fun. And we had like this—we opened for this band called Tristan Psionic from from Canada, who were like this super cool. Do you know Tristan Sionic? they they were a super cool Sionic Sionic Union uh, band.
3: Yeah, no, no, for sure. It was definitely I, that. That's the thing that always really perplexed me when I started to get introduced to the Canadian more mainstream Canadian music scene because of Taken's affiliation with, you know, Goodfell and Sonic Onion, yep. where it was like, obviously I knew I knew your area was fertile for, you know, hardcore and then melodic hardcore with, you know, whatever, Chokehold, Grade, you, you name it. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, there were so many bands that I was just like, dude, no one's heard of that band Yeah, exactly. here in the States at all. It didn't make sense in my mind because I was like, but they're like good. Like, yeah, exactly. they, there's no reason that people... People and and that's what was always funny for me about you guys too, where it was like I don't understand why the U.S. just summarily always rejected what you were doing. It was like I don't I don't get it. So I I think you know that that's something for later on. But yeah, yeah.
2: Well, so anyways, we had this band and it was like an instrumental, cool kind of like spacey, you know, jammy band, and it was a lot of fun. But then I started kind of getting back into singing, you know, because I kind of had I sort of stopped singing. I was singing a lot in high school. And then I, yeah, I just didn't want to anymore for some reason. And then, um, did you right. have,
3: sorry to interrupt, but did you have, did you have bands like in high school that you were like singing and fronting for?
2: Well, I, I started, I was singing a lot. I was doing a lot of like a solo stuff, like acoustic, sh- like, um, acoustic ah, shows okay. around town and Got stuff it. because I didn't really have a band. I didn't really have anybody to play with. Yeah. So I would just play like open mic nights and, uh, play shows, you know, just acoustic either covers or like some songs I had been writing and. But then I started this instrumental band, and and that was a lot of fun. And but then I started writing more songs again, and then that was that's sort of what became was Like I wanted to sing and play, play guitar in a band. and That was when we started. I first started getting like I guess you could say like a following. You know, like we would play shows in St. Catharines, and, and like a whole bunch of people would come and know the words and mm-hmm. things like that to our original songs, and that was pretty cool.
3: I, I do. Uh, I- I, I remember when you showed that to me when we were touring together and it's funny The the thing that I've always been um uh, has always impressed me about you was the fact that it's like usually like your your journey as a musician uh, was unique in the fact that you were usually your first bands are are awful like they're yeah. like just musically terrible. But like when you when you just casually were like, oh, yeah, I did this thing that, you know, like it was whatever. Like you didn't like build it up to me, but then you played it. And I was like, this is a band that could exist right now. And you can have no embarrassment about. So I've always been jealous in the fact that you've, <laughs> you've been in good bands for, for most of your uh, life. I mean, I'm sure if I went to a coffee house show at the time, I might be like, Oh, who's that child in the corner? Playing yeah. guitar?" But uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> but well, I, still, mean, I, I th- was like, that's, that's good. That's nice of you to say, right? I mean, I, I pretty much feel I pretty much feel the way that you just described, uh, like, about stuff I did yesterday. But, you know, that's just me.
3: If there's one thing about yourself that I know is uh, you, you are uh, critical beyond critical of your material. And if you ever – if the job of you promoting your own music was solely rested on your shoulders, a city in color would be playing to negative four people.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I've been playing the cover chops with Gaz.
3: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, so i just always I I think you're 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 uh you know, cuz a lot of people obviously look at what you've done in your musical career and some would probably be like ah, there's so many labels that you can put on it from like oh yeah, like you know, overnight sensation or like oh it's amazing he's doing these these cool things he's been working hard at it for a, a long time. But they're like there's such a lineage in what you're doing where it's like, Well, like yeah, like that step led to that step, kinda of like what we were talking about in the earlier years of a band, where it's like, Yeah, you just kinda of put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And like, yeah, of course.
2: Like, Absolutely. It's it's been it's that. Funny. It's strange because I it's funny like when you, you asked me like, was there like, you know, what were you doing before? that and i think and i say like oh i was playing these acoustic shows (laughs) like i was 22 years ago and i'm i'm still playing those acoustic shows just on a a different scale you know but i totally Totally. like i look at it that way look i I, right before christmas i went and did some solo acoustic shows in canada granted they were you know there was like two thousand people there every night but i looked at it the same way i was like i'm just going to do these some solo shows (laughs)
3: yeah yeah. that's this is something I was going to bring up a little bit later, but it was, um, you know, the last time that, that we saw each other besides, you know, when you when you played in Chicago at Riot Fest was obviously the the Greek theater show, which I know was a hugely monumental and special show for you. Um, and I felt it was honestly like sitting in the crowd watching you. It was one of those things where it was just like uh, it, it was very emotional for me because it was like watching you being able to kind of realize this, like, what the fuck am I doing up here moment? Yeah. Of... Uh, being at this iconic theater, you know, being able to be like, Hey, here's my friend, Ben Harper. Like, like, like you would ever be able to say that. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, the concept of, of fame and, and adulation and people that surround you, like you yourself have, have never changed as a, as a human being. You've always been this really just, you know, a nerdy music guy and people, people that put expectations on you of who you should be, um, that comes from them and not from you. And I, I wonder, like, obviously you've had to, you know, struggle with the idea of of fame and, and the attention that comes with the fact that you put your music out there. Um, I'm sure it's just a constant uh, uh, struggle uh, versus the people that, like, want to know you because you now are a known quantity and, like, it's cool to know you versus the people who actually, like, know you
2: for the human being you are. Yeah, it's something that, I mean, thankfully I who I am and I figured out who I was a very long time ago, you know? And I think, you know, knowing the type of person that I wanted to be allowed me to deal with all of that stuff you were just talking about a lot. It was easier for me to um, shrug anything that I thought was, uh, anything that I thought was insincere or coming from the wrong direction as far as like somebody that I was meeting or, you know, I was, it's very easy for me to just, blow it off and not, uh, not let it affect me because I, because I don't have a lot of faith in myself. And I don't mean this in like a real weird self-deprecating self way, but because I'll never have the ego that a lot of people either assume I have or want me to have that whole concept of fame and, uh, recognition and, and sort of like the known quantity kind of thing it will never really affect me because I just, I just don't have those bones in my body. Right. And you know that and, and mm-hmm. I know the people who know that know that and anybody else who doesn't or thinks something or thinks one way can spend all day thinking that but I know who I always will be and, and uh, I, I, thankfully I have people like you and, and the rest of my good friends around me that, that uh, treat me exactly the same way they've always treated me and, and I think I treat them the same way I've always treated them and, and there's like a kind of a, an understanding. Like me, like a, a, for example for me would be Oh, you yeah. just said, like, that, that Greek show and how I was able to here's my friend Ben Harper. Well, I I felt just as strongly, uh, being able to say here's my friend Ben Harper comes up and plays with me, I felt just as strongly about introducing the dudes in my band to you. Stage saying here's Ben Ray because I look at you or my relationship with you in the same light or the same regard. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's not higher just because of the... The amount of uh, shared you. history. Yeah, the shared history I've been through yeah. with you is, is something that I think also shaped maybe the person that I have become or that I am. Like things, the things that we went through together better than, you know, when we were kids trying to figure it out. Right. Like, so that's kind yeah. of just how I, I I go about my my daily business. I
3: know. I Because it, 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 it was. It, <laughs> It really didn't make sense to me just as an outsider. Like, I just, I remember when we hung out in, in Southern Ontario and, you know, went out to, to dinner, whatever. I I was just up there for work or whatever. And then having people, you know, recognize you. Um, and obviously your, your, your future wife at the time, where it was like, you know, you both were known quantities and quote unquote celebrities within the, uh, you know, Canadian system. And so it was weird for me to be like, uh, oh oh yeah like yeah. I guess that that's something that you have to you have to account for now um I, I was like it makes sense from a factual perspective but it was uh it was strange because obviously this was something that was thrust upon you as opposed to like oh man I'm you know six years old I'm gonna be a star
2: yeah exactly see like I always say like I think I think fame isn't isn't uh I think fame is or famous the word fame is like is something that you have to decide that you you want to be uh, and that you decide that you are and I I still, I just don't think that of myself. I I think more like I'm a musician who some people know and because of that, some people recognize the face that comes along with the voice. And, and that's sort of how I've always approached it. You know, I I think, and I think that there's a different mindset for people who, who want it and who want the attention and who think they genuinely deserve it and, and all of that nonsense, you know, um, Right, right. I think you know, I just, for sure. yeah, like, I don't know. I'm not curing cancer. I just play my guitar and sing. A lot of people do that.
3: Kind of hitting on the point that we were talking about earlier, The um, just because, you know, you and I, like you were mentioning the shared history and obviously, like, when I went out with you guys on that Hot Water Music Tour in 2002 or whatever the hell that was, the difference between, obviously, your rising currency as a band everywhere else besides America um was so uh startling just to see in, in i'll never forget like the uh well actually this was on when we were on tour with you guys taken and we played yeah like you said rochester like the bug jar and it was like you know the show was sold out and it was like oh my gosh like 200 people came across the border to watch alexis on fire like this is a like a big deal and like you know then we drive two hours away from that and it would be like oh cool here's the 50 to 70 people we're used to playing to i'm sure like during those times did it ever feel to you kind of like you know the darkness of being like oh god like do we have to tour the states again do we have to do that like i don't really it's not good for my mental health to do that
2: yeah it definitely got that way with us uh, a lot and and it was it was difficult because we liked going and playing in the states, and it's like we liked that, even though there was, you know, a quarter, let's say, a quarter of the people who were coming to the show that were coming to shows everywhere else in the world. We still liked that those people liked the band, you know, and like. But then it, it's the point where it's like, well, because then you start to think, okay, well, we're doing this for a job. Now. This is our living. Are we throwing away opportunities elsewhere by? slugging so it out and playing for the same hundred kids again and again, not to mention how long it takes to tour America because there are so many people. So then we start. yeah, we started right. kind of like, just not forgetting about it, but just deciding, well, we'll go there. Maybe we'll go there. The cycle. As much as you don't want that to affect you, it, it's easily easy to make the decision. Where do you go? You go where people are listening. Right. And that's where everybody else was listening. And I mean, it wasn't really upsetting to us because I think just knowing the, sometimes things doesn't, especially with music or uh, I guess with everything, but with music, especially sometimes it just doesn't translate to a certain group of people, you know? And I think there's probably a time where we were a little bitter about it. Maybe, maybe on that, around that hot water music tour time, I think cause we were, that was like maybe the second record and, you know, be obviously seeing other bands that were in our same sort of wheelhouse exploding in America. We were kind of wondering mm-hmm. what, what it was that we didn't have. But then I think after that, when we made crisis, I think we had grown up a little bit and we had been through some stuff, obviously with like twitching drummers. And I think we just decided that it wasn't going to happen. And we were fine with it.
3: Like you made peace with it. Yeah,
2: exactly. We made peace with like the America's just, it's going to be a hundred or 200 kids a night, maybe 300 on the coasts. But other than that, that's what we got. And we're going to go there once on a record and, we'll have some fun, we'll bring our friends, and you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all, it's, yeah, you like know. Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, I mean, and we did like, I remember doing, um, I mean, it, it de- there was definitely a couple of things I, I would say, you know, without pulling any punches, there was a, definitely a couple of American tours that probably were responsible for me really deciding that I was gonna quit the band.
3: I was gonna bring that up because I, I totally, I mean, you and I, obviously, as, as we toured and hung out, and um, having those discussions with you In regards to like what you wanted your future to be, not so much the fact that like, oh, I hate what I'm doing with Alexis on fire and I want to focus on my solo stuff because that's gonna just bring the most to me, because that wasn't that was never your case. It was just the struggle of like, all right, this is the history that I've built with this band, but like I want to explore these other, you know, nuanced sounds that I can't explore within the context of this. And I was like seeing the writing on the wall in regards to your feelings towards continuing on especially like when you've been dealt these these blows of just like well this isn't healthy for me to do that and like you're saying those those united states tours would probably pushing you in that direction
2: yeah the 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 main one was when we did the whole tour uh, on the crisis tour i remember that um my creatively my brain started going really away from uh the heavy music and it was like again it wasn't it wasn't because I didn't like it. It wasn't because I wanted to distance myself from it. Because I still listen to music like that. And I still love it. But just creatively, my when I picked up a guitar, the last thing I wanted to do, and you know, probably being on Warp Tour didn't help because it was just this like barrage of noise. And all I wanted to do was I wanted to write the farthest thing from a song that would end up on Warp Tour, I guess. Which is sort of when I started writing all the songs for Bring Me Your Love. But that tour being so long and dredging and unsuccessful, I will say, you know, you know, we didn't, we spent two months on that tour and didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we maybe made enough to pay for our travel and you start to think to yourself, okay, because now I'm like, I'm 28 years old, I'm married, I'm just spent two months away from my wife, make any, like to not do anything. Like, what did I just do? We didn't really make any fans. <laughs> we didn't. Like, what am I doing here? You know what I mean. And uh, and it was just start. It was things like that. And then obviously, the city in color first record had come out, and it had started to do. You know, started to create the whole other side of things I could look to. And that's mm-hmm. when I started really having to. I started really having a long conversations with myself about the what, what, what do I want? You know, or can I do?
3: Kind yeah, of. yeah. To what direction you take in your life? That is obviously like that's going to bring you uh, the, the joy that you're looking for, it's going to keep you, you know, mentally healthy. Um, cause yeah, it's like, it's, you know, all those things like it, it, it no matter what, it just takes a toll on you when you are, uh, like you said, when you have, when you have nothing to really show for it besides like the cool travel experiences, which, you know, that's fine, but it's like, you know, that's, you're getting to see parking lots across America.
1: Yeah, like, exactly.
3: Is, is that really something that is, is, is you know, uh, you know, going to make your heart leap when you look back on that, it'll be like, well, uh, that's rough. Like, yeah. And, and
2: especially like if you, like I always said, like, man, if I was 20 years old and I was single and I was just like a kid, uh, Warped Tour seems like the greatest idea. I'd already seen all those parking lots, you know, many times. And I had, right. you know, we, we had been touring a lot for a long time. So it was, yeah, things like that started to the allure of the travel and the road. If you've done it for a long time, you know, certain parts of it start to really wear on you.
3: You, like you were mentioning, obviously the rise of, of, you know, what City in Color was doing and the attention that was, was happening. Um, and you obviously being thrown in front of people that were so removed from the context of what you had existed in for a long period of time, not the idea of like playing shows, but just the, you know, whatever the DIY basement show, like whatever, punk culture. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that you, uh, you know, the people that you kind of like got along with in this, this different world that had that sort of DIY experience, kind of like you gravitated towards or you were like, oh, wow, like you played, you know, terrible shows as a singer-songwriter that you booked yourself, you know, two months a two-month tour across coffee shops or whatever. Like, did you find people in the, you know, larger ecosystem that you were attracted to because of that?
2: Yeah, I mean... I- like, even if you look at, like, right now, like, the band that the band that I have playing with me, like, Doug from the Constantine's, so it's like, you know, I mean, he plays drums, but he was in the Constantine's, who was maybe the greatest Canadian band of all time, but they also, in the, as the, you know, just a punk rock band, and, you know, did all the same stuff that we did, toured, played for nobody, and um, he just happens to be able to play drums any way you want him to. Jack, who plays bass, was in the Greenhorns, who played, you know, were a band in the mid-90s, and played for nobody forever too. And, you know, obviously he went on to be in the Rock and now he's in, you know, the dead weather and things like that. And he's a lot more accomplished, but find that in everybody, really everybody who, who I have, anybody who I've met and stayed in contact with is because we all had the same sort of shared experiences. Now I've definitely met a lot of people in this because of the, the direction I've gone and definitely a lot of met a lot of people who, you know, the first time bus first tour bus fans and, the sort of major label, this and that, and the, you know. But those people I don't really, I just never, I just don't have anything in common with, you know. There was that, but it, right. you do find, I think I think if you if you search it out, there are the, you know, the people that you have something in common with at, in, in every walk of life. So I've been lucky enough to find a bunch of people who, you know, didn't come from what we came from. You know, like my, right. my guitar player Dante, like no real... Idea of punk rock or that style of music, like he just wasn't there for it, didn't listen to it. Came from a completely different world, but you know, he also his band that he was in when when I met him, you know, hard for put out three records and toured for five years, and you know, played a lot of shows to nobody. So right, and like booked their tours themselves and drove the van and did all that. So yeah, I've I've been able to sort of find those like minded people, and, and I'm I'm not saying that that's a prerequisite that you have to, have to be a friend of mine. You know, no. you have to go no, through no. that, <laughs> not you know, but it really right. does help everybody. It helps right now in the world I have surrounded myself with, like all of my dudes on my crew and everybody in my band. It helps that we all have the shared experience of failure because it allows us to really appreciate what is going on now, you know, whereas I, I, you, you, meet, you meet kids, you meet kids in bands or people who work for bands who... I've just lived this super comfortable existence. It's okay, but I don't really have anything to talk to them about because it just doesn't feel like they've earned it.
3: not only like exposing who you are as a human but just showing the fact that um just because that i am up here in front of 2000 people playing my guitar it doesn't make me any different than the people that are in the audience. And I think you've always done a really good job in the context of that to just be like, when you do, when you do have an interaction with a person who is like looking at you, you know, with these like wide eyes and are just like, Oh my God, like there's Dallas. I don't know what to do. And then you just either try to diffuse the situation of just like, well, like, Hey, like, nice to meet you. Like I'm a, a regular human. Like yeah. I'm going to have a drink of water right now. Like <laughs> the, um, it, it, I find it. So like, I, I just, I, I still don't understand how that, that, um, that idea still perpetuates itself, where it's just like I'm doing. The, like I, I would be doing this regardless of of who's in front of me right now. It just happens to be that a lot of people are paying attention, and like I'm a real human just as much as you are. But it's sometimes it's it's difficult to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. Um, is it one of those things, like, because of the sheer volume of your audience, you obviously can't have those individual interactions, you know, what other things you try to do to obviously, like, you know, convey that message, because I know it's important to you, because otherwise, it just seems like you're this, you know, whatever, douche with a beard and a, a funny hat who's up there on the stage, and it, does, it doesn't differentiate you from anybody else that's doing the same sort of stuff that you're doing. exactly. Um, so, like, yeah, so, like, what what sort of, you know, what, what things do you try to find that you try to, uh, you know, either convey, whether it's, like musically where you're just like i'm going to concentrate on this music or i know it's a complex question but i just i I know it's important to you so i know uh, i wanted to put it out there
2: i I think um well like you said the conversations are are important when 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 i find myself in a situation with somebody who's i guess for lack of a better term starstruck or i I just try to bring it down to a normal conversation because that's all it should be because i'm just playing guitar and singing and, and you happen to like it but the reason people i feel like the reason the reason the douchebag in this world like this musical world exists is because people treat them so differently and it gives them a reason to feel like they're special and different i don't want to ever feel that way and i don't think people should make other people feel that way because you can like something but you don't have to treat them like they're this superhuman because we're not you know people who people who sing and play music aren't any different? I just happen to be okay at that. This, like, I always, uh, you know, I talk to people. I'm like, you know, I go, what are you good at? Are you good at science? And if somebody's like really good at, I'm like, well, you go to university. What do you major in? And they tell me, and I'm like, well, I can't do that. And they're like, <laughs> well, what do you mean? And I'm really like, funny. I'm like, I can't do that. I Could never do what you're doing. I'm like, I'm just this is what I I've been doing this my whole life, and it's the only thing I know that I'm I'm remotely good at it. Some people like it, and and it's great. But you know, but because of the nature of the beast, where i what I do um allows me to stand up on stage in front of a bunch of people and you know have the spotlight on me or us it uh you know it changes the perception of the way people the, the way people think and it and it gets a little bit uh i don't know it can get really confusing to a lot of people too right because they they have this intimate relationship with something that you've created i I don't know if that was ever the goal for me i I, I wanted them to, I want people to like what I do, but I also write it in a way where I have to like it first. And then if I can get a song to the point where I really like it, then hopefully somebody else will like it. Um, but but certain things you do have this, this crazy effect on another person, and they feel like they have to try to explain it to you. And I always tell kids, like, you know, if somebody says, I don't know what to say, I'm like, well, you don't have to say anything because... Music. Listening to music isn't about describing how it makes you feel. It's just about how it makes you feel, and that's if it makes you feel something, then that's great, you know. So just say thanks, maybe that's good, and then we'll shake hands and do a selfie, and then that's it, right? You know. So, it, it, but that's it, really. And 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 it. Um, I guess it's all about just trying to. And I don't. And it's hard because the hard conversation to have without trying to. I don't want to dismiss the feelings that these people are having. Because that's pretty special that something I, some song I wrote in my living room has made this person so wonderful that they don't know what to say to me. And I think that's really awesome. But I also want them to realize that. Absolutely. I also want them to realize that they have to be a part of it as well, you know? Like them listening to that song and having that moment is just as important as me writing the song. Because without them listening, then it's just a song.
3: It's a one-sided relationship that, that once it enters the real world, there are uh, repercussions for it. And it's having to navigate those relationships that you build, like I said, on a one-sided perspective where it's just like, all right, your feelings are valid, like it's awesome. Don't, don't look at me like I'm a deity. Look at me like I've been able to create a piece of art that you can consume. It just happens to be that mine is music and it's not like a painting on the wall that you will probably never meet that artist for um, we're, we're begging for that, that sort of, uh, interaction where it's just like, you know, if you have a person that goes up to you that likes you because of your music, it's like, well, that, that's amazing. Like breaking it down, where it's just like, all right, dude, like I'm, yes, I've got a good voice. Like, yes, I have these, these capabilities and these things that I've worked on for my whole life, but there are things that you do that are just far better than anything I could ever do. So like, let's just, let's leave it at that.
2: Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, the, it's just, we are, because of the nature of what I am, the age old, like put the person up on a pedestal type thing. And, and it is, you know, it yeah. is based on mass consumption as well. Right. It's like a school teacher is just as important, but a school teacher is just this thing that happens all over the world every day. And nobody seems to really care as much as they should. But because I sing a song that maybe a hundred thousand people liked I'll immediately. Look it's more, at, like,
3: it's it's more this, relevant. Correct.
2: Yeah. And again, like that, again, that has to do with the person you are and what you want out of it. So if I was a different type of person, then I would, you know, milk it and take it for all it's worth. But I still just like, I don't know, I still think I can do better and I still try to every time I do it. You know, I don't think because somebody likes a song I wrote, that doesn't mean, okay, like here's a perfect example. I've won two Songwriter of the Year awards at the Junos in Canada that didn't immediately make me a better songwriter. Do you know what I mean? That didn't make me... Uh, I, I don't right. look at those awards and go oh, okay well I'm fine i I'm, I've won these awards i I don't have to work hard anymore whereas I think there's probably some people who win things like that and go oh finally validation I'm great I made it you know and I, right. there's just I think yeah. a different approach to how how you how you like let all these things uh, affect you
3: I think most people uh, that would obviously just like look at you from the outside um, would you know you, you you seem like a very you know calm and and cool and collected guy obviously as as well as i know you you're you know there's this like this sea of uh you know sort of i wouldn't even call it discontent this sea of just like sort of pseudo anxiety that's obviously like it's because you're so invested in what you're doing um there's this uh, yeah like i said this this bubbling that always uh has manifested itself inside of you that it's like uh, everything you're you're doing is is you like we were alluding to earlier. You're so critical on yourself. Yeah. Where where does that come from? Like you, you, I mean, uh, for as long as I've known you, you've just beat the absolute crap out of yourself. And it's it's more nuanced now where you're obviously less anxious about that. But I'm sure it manifests itself in different ways now.
2: Oh great! I would say it's way worse.
3: No. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I was I was hoping he'd call down, but I guess not. No.
2: You know, I I'm not too sure where it comes from to be honest. I think what it is is I'm so terrified of being that person that we're talking about. I I think I'm so terrified of being complacent or uh, or just uh, I'm so terrified of of becoming this person who feels like they've earned they've deserve they deserve it or or something like that. I feel like by constantly shitting on myself and knowing that I can do better, then I will do better, I guess. It's not a great way to be, and it's not like a very happy existence, but for what I do, it allows me to, like whatever it is I'm looking for as far as songwriting or singing or performing or whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is I'm striving to get to, acting this way allows me to consistently write things that I feel are better than what I did before. And does that make sense? The validation of a bunch of people liking what I do doesn't mean anything to me. It's that surprising feeling of writing another song that I go, fuck, I love this right now. Mm-hmm. No, I'm probably not going to like it tomorrow. Just just knowing that I, that I want to do better. I, I don't know. I guess that just is right. me. And then for some reason, I've created this way of being that, that allows me to do that.
3: Yeah, well, hear, hearing you articulate it, it, it makes it makes more sense to me where it's like it, it, there's there's that level, I mean, honestly, it's like self-preservation in a way, where it's yeah. like you've keyed into the fact that you want to play music. This feeling that has manifested itself inside of you allows that to occur in what you define as successful terms.
2: Exactly. Yeah, like to think of like uh, Neil Young, one of my favorite lyrics of all time is, it doesn't mean that much to me to mean that much to you. And that sounds like it's a super dick line, like I I don't give a shit what you think, but it really, the way I approach it is, I do all of this so I can have some sort of inner peace that what I'm doing is right for me, you know? And then the bonus of that is that I write these songs that some people find very relatable and and can help them with whatever they need to help them with, you know? And that's sort of I think that's why I, I do what I do and yeah, it just sort of manifests its way itself in this real hard ass
3: type. It's funny it's funny too, because I think it I think it works on, on a different level as well, where it's like, even though you take what you do seriously you don't take yourself too seriously. No, you know? not, not so at I, all. So I think yeah. it, there, there's like no fear. Like I, in observing you from the outside of obviously your, your the success that you've had. There, in my mind, I've never been concerned that the next time that we speak or see each other that you're gonna be a shell of a human. I've always been like, Well no, because it's like he just finds the shit funny. Like yeah. when when I go into a local Starbucks in America and pick up the, you know, single of the week card, it's like, oh, there's there's Dallas. Like I never thought I would have a friend on a Starbucks download card. I'm like, I'm sure you would look you look at that opportunity or just like, Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Like, that's that's weird that, that can happen. Yeah, it's
2: just sort of one of those things where you go, Oh, okay. Put me in front of the other. It's like, Oh okay, Starbucks People go like sure. that? Okay. I'll
3: go ahead and do basically I want to hit on, on two last things and then I'll 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 let you go. Where uh it's, this is a pseudo hackneyed question, but because you've you've always struck me as a person who um, you know, is emotionally intelligent, um, but not uh necessarily one that's ever obviously cared about uh schooling, so to speak. Did you even go to college or anything like secondary school or anything like that?
2: Oh no. I yeah uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, I finished high school and then I just didn't have that. Um, I, I, there were so many friends of mine that were leaving high school to go to university and college and, and to take things that they had no interest in, but they had to go because everybody in their family was sort of saying, well, that's the next logical step. You have to go. And I just thought, well, the thing that I'm really interested in is playing my guitar and writing. So why don't I just kind of do that? And if I'll do that for a couple of years. And if that doesn't work, then maybe I'll start thinking about um, some other line of work or whatever
3: obviously now retrospectively i'm sure your parents are are very happy of the decisions that you've made but i'm sure in every early iteration of what you were doing creating music i'm sure in some respects they were just like dallas is probably going to be an abysmal failure in some capacity Um, of course were were they just terrified were they
2: were they dissuading you from it no they were very supportive because that's just how they had always been and like you know as long as i had a job which I did, you know, as soon as I, I mean, I had a job in high school. And then when I graduated, I got, you know, a more full time job. And as long as I was making my own money, you know, it wasn't a lot, but as long as I was able to provide for myself and Mm -hmm. they were, they were were with me, you know, taking, taking those few years after high school to see if I could get something going, because I guess they looked at it like, well, he could go to college right now and be completely disinterested for three, four years in something that he, you know, all the while trying to work on this thing that he's actually interested in, yet in you know in the wee hours of the morning or something, um, or he can really go for it and, and see what happens, and and that's what I did. I, I still you know obviously I still end up working on these. <laughs> in the wee hours of the morning is when I get most of my work done now. But, right. Um, right. But yeah, so they were they were always very supportive of of the idea that as long as I you know as long as I didn't just become some like you said like as long as I didn't just immediately become an abysmal failure and, and not really do anything, just sit in my basement and play my guitar and hope for someone to knock on my door. I think they were fine. Right, right. I think they too, they probably saw that I was, I was, I was pretty driven, you know, I, 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 thankfully I've always had that in me is the, the want and the drive to, to work at it
3: yeah it had, you you haven't been uh, crippled by the the fear of showing people your stuff it's It's just the idea of like uh, i'm I'm getting it out there and like you yeah. have that inside of you rather than yeah, just like i'm like you said, I'm gonna stick in the basement, and someone someone will discover my talents at some point,
2: yeah, exactly.
3: I, I loved I'd be remiss if I didn't you know mention one of your current musical projects that you uh, obviously did with uh, with with pink and you and me yeah the reactions that were had from you know universally speaking was like you know people were very positive and kind towards it but there were a lot of people that were just like who like what is this like yeah. why why would Dallas do this thing like well this is so strange and it was like you know I mean it made sense to me because I've obviously I've known you've been friends with her for quite some time. Um, was it, was it one of those things where, uh, the, the feedback that you were able to kind of like receive and see was just like, just pure, like, oh, that's weird. Like, how's yeah. that happening?
2: I, I loved it. I mean, because I mean, obviously I knew where, what was going to, uh, what was going to transpire when the news came out. It was funny to see the different groups of people, like the different groups of my fans, I guess we'll start with, you know, like, okay, let's say the, the fans I have in America who even though I do well in America, I'm still this sort of like underground sensation because I don't get any really mainstream attention in America. So they see me doing this record with like a pop star. It's like, I'm selling out, but really they don't realize that in Canada. I am that, you know? And, and so it's like, right. Like, it's like these people are like, what is he doing? He's selling I He's just doing it for the money. And meanwhile, I, me and Alicia just did it on a week and during a week. There was no my involved. I didn't sign to a major label. I just made a record with my one of my good friends and like sort of like it's funny like it was the least planned thing I think I've ever done in this business. Like we we just hung out. We didn't tell anybody about it. We just hung out and wrote some songs and recorded them and told everybody like around us that we'd like to put it out and you know the people who heard about it and thought that it was this master plan from labels and you know, like the boardroom meetings and things like that. It's like all of that stuff was just super amusing to me because I, I love to read things that people like I love to read people's insight into what they think is actually going on. <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's so oh, it's completely <laughs> wrong.
3: Yeah, you, you, like you said, it's just this, this masterminded where it's like, all right, let's pull these two, these two artists together to do this thing, and like they'll, we'll be able to take over the world.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, you no, know, it's funny. Like we just, you know, we made the record, we put it out, and and played a show, and now I'm going, you know, going to the studio in two days to start making a thing all record. But everybody just assumed that I yeah. was and I read a lot of stuff that like people were like, "Well, why did he quit a left on fire?" He said, "I thought he didn't want to do two bands. Why is he doing another band all of a sudden?" And it's like, "Well, oh, I'm not. I just,
3: I, did, I didn't, I know, I didn't even think about that." Re- oh man, you got you gotta love the gotta love the internet.
2: Yeah, you gotta love it.
3: <laughs> the last thing I wanted to address was the the fact that obviously you are a uh, well known sports fan, and the fact that you you've professed. I mean, I, I've known it for a while because obviously we've we've discussed it, but. The, um, I mean, for one, you obviously have to be kind of, uh, the heir to the Toronto Raptors throne of Drake, I presume. That's kind of like what you're angling for right now. So you can, you know, eventually when he, re- when he retires, you'll, you'll step in, I presume. Right.
2: Well, see, I, I don't know. I'd like to think that I was always there. I was, but I'm like, you know, again, I'm in, I'm the, right. I'm the independent category, category, right. uh, candidate. He's the, the national convention, democratic nominee i'm the independent you know <laughs> i've always been there i'm the totally. sidelines. i buy my tickets
3: right right yeah 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 you're not uh you're not placed there to uh to garnish the uh attention of uh kyle lowry and uh patrick patterson to be no. like oh damn dude look at that guy here
2: you know what's funny though is like of course this is perfect uh example of my life but the mo- the moment i leave the city to go live somewhere else during the winter they have the best season in the history of the franchise
3: that's very telling where you're like all right well i have been living live in nashville all right well toronto's gonna go on a tear
2: here yeah and it's good though but it's because i kind of feel like it's responsible for it i had to leave in order for them to be as good as they are and i'll take it i watched my nba league pass and everything's fine
3: yeah exactly and then you, you can uh you, you can see them when they uh, come to memphis right <laughs> yeah
2: well I, I yeah i'm gonna go home for the playoffs definitely
3: you know, because like you like you mentioned, you obviously how long have you been married now? Six years. You know, you you've you've had to consider someone besides yourself for a a decent amount of time. Not only just like as far as your livelihood is concerned, but just you know the. Uh, the relationship and the maintenance that it takes to, you know, keep a marriage awesome and growing, you know, it's something that I noticed that you mentioned in uh, other interviews was the fact that it's like, you know, because both you and her have lived such a transient lifestyle of, you know, touring and then obviously her uh, hectic schedule. Was it, was it one of those things where you obviously you knew what you both were getting into, but uh, those times where it was just like, did it feel difficult to like actually build that sort of relationship initially because you both were so, uh, you know, obviously in transit to so many different places or was it just kind of like when you were both present in each other's lives, it was like so there?
2: Yeah, I I think that it was a little bit of both, but mostly I think the relationship starting that way in like the, okay, I'm home for a week, let's really hang out and then I'm gone for a month or whatever. It, It did really like sort of, you know, that the cliche of the distance makes the hardcore founder. Like it really did help us appreciate the moment when we were together a lot more, I think. And I think, it, I think it probably allowed for us to stay together this long. Um, and then now we just, you know, we've kind of, I guess, settled down, I guess I could say, you know, cause I'm touring a lot, but not as much, but, and when I do, she's usually right. comes with us now. And, you know, we've come down International and really, since she stopped working in that business and it's really just been like, since we've been down here, it's funny. It's like, like Leia said something the other day to me that she was like, I feel like we just started our lives and that, you know, we've been together for nine years, married for six. And to be able to say that that far into a relationship is pretty, is pretty cool. You know? So I think that the way as hectic as, as being at times, I think just the amount of shit we have dealt with and been through in that time, has made it stronger. Yeah. I think allowed it to to grow.
3: Yeah, no, I I, I think that's a really uh, that's a really important point. It's something like I've always uh, reflected on myself because like my wife and I were mar- will be married ten years this August, and it was one of those things where we waited six years to have a child yeah and it, it's one of those things where it was like we felt that our relationship was was built on a solid enough foundation that we could introduce a third party <laughs> to this thing yeah um and it, it so it's it, obviously it's like what what you guys are doing now where it's like you're like all right well now now that we feel like our foundation is 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 planted now we're kind of like turning that next chapter in our lives and like that when you reach that moment of like oh yeah that's exciting to kind of like look around that corner you
0: know
2: exactly yeah no and it's cool to to just yeah to be able to to look around and and see a new just to see something new there you know like especially like I I don't know like I I always wanted or I always thought I would end up living somewhere else or always thought I wanted to move away from Toronto because I never you know as much as I lived there I didn't really necessarily think it was my home because it wasn't my home I didn't grow up there you know I just lived there because my wife worked there but moving here to Nashville, it really has, like, it's probably the happiest. I know we were talking; we spent a whole conversation talking about how happy I am, but it's probably the happiest I've, I've ever been in my life, you know, and feel at home. Right,
3: right. I mean, that, and that's super exciting because it'll, it'll, uh, you know, it'll rejigger the way that you are obviously creating music uh, from a place of, like, uh, for lack of a better term, like stability. You know, exactly. Yeah, that kind of put it puts you into a more. Uh, for lack of a better term, like mature headspace as well, where it's like, yeah, you can write music that will be identifiable to a 60-year-old the same way it can identify to an 18-year-old, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah, the stability of feeling at home and and even just like going into the studio this time with my band, you know, I haven't done that in I haven't done that since I made an Alexis record because every city and color record has been different. Um, but just having like the band that's been touring with me for two years going into the studio and making the record with me, like there's something really solidifying about that as well. Yeah, I feel like has taken the music to a whole new level. So yeah, I just feel overall I feel pretty stoked about what's going on, which nice. is a nice way to feel because I'm used to not that.
3: That way. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's incredibly exciting. And I, Dallas, I really appreciate you hanging out with this. Cause I, I just, yeah, I know, not I, I I'm so glad we're friends. I'm, I just, I'm so excited for everything you've been able to create and it's just uh it's awesome and i, I wanted I, I wanted to have this conversation and record it because i think it's just a, a a great way to showcase people like obviously not only who you are but just the fact that it's like well you've you know you've you've remained unchanged through the the uh surroundings that you've been thrown into because of your music so i really i really appreciate you doing this dal oh
2: thanks Ray. I'm i'm glad to have done it
3: so there was that that was dallas what a dude right just incredible yeah I'm just I'm thankful that he wanted to do this he just took some time out of his day and uh, yeah we did it and it was great so thank you very much for listening the producer as always for this show is Tom Richfield best friend forever and visit the show's website 100 words podcast and please donate I encourage you I know I had a plea at the beginning of the show but I'm just I'm, I'm doing it again just to remind you so without further ado here's the end of the show <laughs> and be safe everybody I'll talk to you next week